everyone. This is Sean Devney from Heavy Sports. We are here with the Celtics Collective to talk about uh, what is right now the best team in basketball, uh, 20 and 5 as we're recording this, heading into uh, uh, the beginning of the western part of the Celtics six-game road trip. Uh, it is Wednesday. Uh, things have been looking good for the Celtics, no question. So uh, it's a good time to talk Boston basketball. Uh, and with me, I've got uh, the veteran himself, Steve Balpet. Uh, Steve, how are you? I am fine, sir. Holding down the fort in the haunt. And uh, uh, out by 495, we've got Jack Simone. Uh, how are you doing today, Jack? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. All right. All right. Good to see everyone. And, uh, uh, you know, let's let's get into it with this team at 20 and five. Um, you know, this is uh, I think if you look uh, in recent days and in, in, in some of their recent games, uh, for once, we don't have to start by talking about Jason Tatum. Uh, I think that uh, uh, if you look, it's it's been Jalen Brown and, and he's been fantastic uh, really all year, but especially lately. Uh, he seems to be addressing some of uh, uh, some of the complaints a lot of us have had about his about his game. He's had zero turnovers in the last two games, zero. And this is Jalen Brown, who you know had so many turnover problems all through the playoffs. Uh, he has not had back-to-back -back zero turnover games since 2019, March of 2019. So uh, you know, let's let's talk about about Jalen Brown here. Uh, start with with you, Steve. Are you seeing anything different from his game, uh, or is he just sort of uh, uh, generally elevated across the board? Well, I think he's taking advantage of opportunities. Uh, I think he's seeing the opportunities better. Um, but is you know, when you say we we can talk about Jalen Brown and not so much Jason Tatum, I think it's all connected. I think you know the same way that uh, you know that. Bird and McHale work together, uh, Pippen and Jordan. Um, having uh, Jason Tatum as someone that, that needs to be paid attention to, I think that gives uh, Jalen Brown, you know, more room to move. Um, and frankly, I'm not as stunned by the lack of turnovers in these last couple of games as I was stunned by the fact that he was committing so many prior to this. I mean, it's just, it's simple stuff. It's simple basketball stuff. You know, when you're driving, you've got to get your shoulders lower. It's, it becomes simple physics. You know, the further the ball has to move, the more chance it is for someone's hand to come in, slap it away, all those things. So I was, you know, I was a little bit surprised or more surprised at that than the fact that he's gotten it together recently, you know, yeah. control seeing things better. Yeah, yeah, you know that 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 spin move that that he did, especially a lot during the playoffs, where he'd get into the lane, and he'd really open up his body, uh, and and like you say, just just give defenders so many opportunities. The Warriors were very good at recognizing when he was going into that, uh, and and being able to get a deflection, get the ball away from him uh, when he did that. Uh, Jack, what are, what are you seeing from from Jalen Brown here? Are, are we talking improvement? Are we talking, uh, you know, opportunity, or just just the whole team's been playing better and he's part of that? I, I think what Steve said kind of hit the nail on the head. You you kind of have 
right now what is probably the best duo in basketball, right? So even when Jason Tatum is playing poorly, you have Jalen Brown who can go for 30. Uh, and the turnovers we saw in the playoffs last year are sort of the same ones we're seeing now, like you said, Sean, kind of just crashing into the lane and giving the ball up because he keeps himself open. It's a lot of just him trying to get something going and you know, being sloppy and letting go in the lane. And over the past couple of games, you haven't seen it as much. Yeah, I think, look, one of the words, maybe the most uh, often used word by Joe Missoula is spacing. And, you know, good spacing is what leads to better lanes to drive and all those things, which leads to fewer hands in the way. So I think, again, it's, it's all, it's all connected. Um, and that, you, when you see something like this, you understand even more why Missoula harps on that word. Yeah, I mean, certainly they've they've they've, they've <clears throat> earned the spacing that they've gotten uh, with the way they've shot the ball. Uh, certainly with the frequency that they've been uh, shooting three pointers, forty one point four per game. That is second in the NBA behind the Warriors. Uh, they are making sixteen point six of those which is number one in the league, um, you know, their, their three-point uh, percentage right now, they're shooting 40.2%. Uh, you know, is that something, Jack, that, that you think this team can continue? Uh, are we seeing just a hot streak going over 25 games that eventually, uh, you know, a, a lot of these guys, pretty much every guy on the roster is shooting well above <laughs> Uh, his uh, uh, his career number does does water go back to his level or is this something that you think that that they can sustain? I, I think it's it's hard to say this is sustainable and it's it, I don't think you can say it's sustainable until they do it because it's like a historical offense they've put together here it would yeah. be the best in league history so you kind of have to see it to believe it. But right now, the way they're getting the shots, it seems like it should be sustainable. They're not just like taking, you know, contested threes at the end of the shot clock because the offense broke down and they're just making them. It's they're getting into the paint. They're playing good offense as the truck outside my house starts going. Uh, but th they're getting into the paint. They're getting good offense. They're moving the ball. Derek White's hitting his open shots. Al Horford's hitting open shots. Sam Hauser's hitting open shots. Like they're getting good looks. And that's the reason they're making such a high percentage of them. So I, I think it's a. It's a product of how well they're playing on offense rather than just them being hot. And part of it is maybe they're on a hot streak. You've seen Derek White cool off a little bit in recent mm -hmm. days. Sam Hauser cooled off from his early season. But them mm -hmm. cooling off is them cooling off from like 48% to 40%. So I feel like the water finding it level might just be them shooting 40% from three, uh, which is, I would say, I guess, sustainable from the way they're playing. Yeah, I know I've been critical of them the last few years. You know, and I always come back to if, if you want to hit more shots, take better shots. And with the ball movement now, they're getting better shots. I think the next evolution you're going to see, it won't matter so much their percentage. Um, <clears throat> I think what, what the, the next step should be is that they begin to drive on these closeouts. Sam Hauser in particular, I was talking to a, a, to a scout yesterday. I said, you know, he's got a really good – drive game against closeouts that when he uses it, it's really effective. He clearly knows what he's doing when he goes to the bucket. And I think you're going to see more of that. I think you should see more of that from a lot of guys. And again, that may not lead to like, if, if it's Sam Hauser, it may not lead to him scoring, but it may lead to uh, someone dropping off on defense and he throws it to the opposite corner. The guy who does that most often now for the Celtics is Grant Williams 
He's been doing it for the last couple of years. So I just think you're going to see more of that. So maybe their, uh, their three-point percentage could get altered, but their, you know, their offensive rating won't get hurt too much because they'll be you know, uh, getting to the free throw line more. That, that'll boost their effective field goal percentage, all those things. Yeah, I thought that was, uh, you know, especially with, uh, with Derek White, um, you know, you mentioned him and and I think he's been a real key uh, to how their offense has been, you know, where uh, when we get back to Jalen Brown and, and talk about spacing, uh, you know, you were able to sag off him, you were able to play off him uh, a little bit. Uh, but I thought what happened in the playoffs last year is he, he uh, and really at the end of the year too, is he really started to go back to that floater, that that little that you know w- where he was not just settling for the three pointer, but but attacking the rim uh, and making those uh, uh, those little floaters over over the defense, and he's he's kind of kept that up this year. Uh, he he's been a real key in terms of uh, creating space because he was a guy that that again you know you didn't really have to pay that much attention to. Uh, for for a lot of the times he's with the Celtics last year, uh, with, with the way he shot, he seems to be, um, you know, a real key to what they're doing offensively, Jack. Yeah, his progression as a shooter is huge. I remember when they traded for him, a lot of people were not necessarily upset with the trade, but they looked at it. They looked at, you know, Derek White's shooting numbers last season. They saw what Josh Richardson was doing. Like, why would the Celtics trade for somebody shooting this much worse from three when they shoot a lot of threes? And he worked on his jumper this offseason. Now he's comes back and he's shooting above 40%. Um, And I saw Bobby Manning of CLS Media say something on Twitter. He's like so so good when either smart or brogdon is out like he went on that stretch where he was putting up like 15 points a night when they were out like sporadically smart and then brogdon uh, and then when they're back he doesn't have as much of an impact in the scoring column but like that just shows how good the Celtics accept is right like like you can be missing smart or brogdon it doesn't matter because Derek white is there uh and he's been so crucial as not only a a shooter when they're fully healthy, but also a ball handler when one of those guys is out. And like you said, Sean, he gets that floater and it gives them another source of offense. Like he can just bail them out of possessions uh, where things fall apart. And then as a defender, obviously like that's like a three headed monster at the guard position, him smart and Brogdon solid there too. So he's been very, very impactful. Everything you could ask from him from this season after last year, he's done. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I like his mechanics last year. I thought he, I was surprised he was missing last year. And what's funny now is we think of him as being more part of the offense, but he's taking fewer shots than he did last year. Uh, and he's a guy that you want to see get to the get to the paint and get to the line because he's one of their best free throw shooters. But he's getting to the line less. Um, I think the reason, if you look for the reason why, it's because the ball movement is doing what it should do, which is get the ball in the hands of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as finishers. That's you know. You want to see those two guys in that role more than pounding it into the floor and trying to find their own shot. You want to see them get their shots being cutters and, and as part of just ball movement and energy because in that regard, you're going to have the defense moving and not in as good a position to stop them. So, you know, here he is. He's big, a bigger part of the offense, yet he's less a part of the offense numerically when it comes right. to attempts, which is kind of weird, but it's how good basketball looks. Yeah, yeah, and it certainly looked good for the Celtics lately. Uh, you know, one more thing on Jalen. Uh, you know, he's had nine 30-point games uh, through his first 23 uh, this year. 
uh, would that puts him on pace for 27 30 point games if he plays 70 games this year uh, which is about where he's been the last few years 70 games uh, but but yeah so he would have 27 uh, on on the pace that he's at 30 point games uh, he had 17 30 point games last year he had 19 30 point games in the first four years of his career put together so first four years 19 last year 17 this year he's on pace for 27. I think that speaks a little bit to his confidence, you know, that, that, that he does seem like a more confident player, uh, you know, much more sure in what he's doing. Um, and, and, and certainly consistency had been uh, an issue with him, maybe not so much last year, but, but in the early parts of his career, uh, you know, this looks like a guy to me uh, and, and, and either one of you can, uh, can add to this. But it looks like a guy to me who's, who's, who's a lot more confident than he's ever been. He's taking better shots. You know, I mean, um, that's a good way to get confidence, right? You know, the better the shots you take, the more they're going to go in. And when you see them go in, it it, uh, it makes it uh, you're, you're that much quicker on the trigger. So I, I think that's entirely where it's at for him. Sure, he's more confident. And I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder uh, being mentioned in trade talks again. Or, you know, I don't think that was ever a realistic thing. But, um, you know, uh, he wouldn't be the first player that's seen something that wasn't necessarily there and used it, to, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, as a chip on his shoulder. I think, you know, Kevin Garnett lived off that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another guy who uh, <laughs> has, has uh, worked his way into the annals of, uh, of Celtics history here uh, through uh, through 25 games, uh, and certainly into the hearts of, of Celtics fans has been uh, Blake Griffin. Now four and zero, the Celtics are four and zero when when Blake Griffin starts in those games. He's averaged nine points. He shot seventy one percent from the field. Uh, his plus minus per game has been seven point three. Uh, you know this is uh, it's Blake Mania out there now. Uh, now, but but the game Monday against Toronto was a little different because. Uh, you know, the, 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 the starts that he had previously was sort of a placeholder kind of guy. It's against the Knicks. It was against the Pistons. It was against the Hornets, uh, you know, games that they should win uh, no matter who was, you know, you and I can play center uh, and, uh, and, and probably they could still get the win, but this was against Toronto, uh, you know, a good team. He played 32 minutes, five for six shooting uh, 13 points, eight rebounds. You know, this was, uh, this was a little different. Um, you know, Jack, what do you, what do you make of what Blake Griffin has given them to this point? Yeah. So I wrote about it for Celtics blog and Jeff Clark said it was the football schedule where he just plays once a week and that's good enough for the Celtics. (laughs) And that's good enough for Blake because he he obviously doesn't have the same legs that he used to. Um, so he can't play every night. And I mean, as we're recording this, Al Horford entered health and safety protocol. So he's going to get another chance to, uh, probably enter that starting lineup this time with less of a rest than he usually gets. So uh, I think going up against DeAndre Aiden will be a bigger test. And obviously when this comes out, you guys will know how it goes. Uh, but he, he's been really good in the minutes that he's played uh, shooting. Well, he's defending as well as you can ask him to. He's, he's hustling, which is another big thing that you just need from someone who doesn't play often. Uh, it's kind of like the perfect marriage, right? Like they knew that they wouldn't necessarily need him to play 20 minutes a night, every night, even 10 minutes a night, every night. They just need him to come in when Al Horford needs some rest. 
Uh, and he, he's doing that and he's doing it well. And especially when guys like Luke Cornett and Grant Williams and eventually Robert Williams are playing well enough to be in that regular rotation. This is really all you need from Blake. So uh, he, he's just fit into that role really well. Yeah. And, you know, Steve, I, I, I think back to 2008 uh, and uh, and P.J. Brown, who was 38 at the time, comes to mind. Uh, you know, certainly I, I, I think you look at Blake Griffin and what he's done so far. Um, you know, he's he looks like he'll be a December to March player that when you tighten up the uh, the playoff rotation, uh, you know, he's not going to be part of that. You know, he's he's a uh, break glass in case of emergency kind of guy. Do you see him that way or do you see a little P.J. Brown in him where he could he could be a you know, 12, 15 minute contributor uh, on a daily basis in the postseason? I, I see him as different than P.J. Just to say P.J. was a guy that would come in and could make a few plays here and there. Blake Griffin right now, the way he's playing, he it's like he's a, a guy on a two-way contract almost. He's coming in and he's being very physical. And he's like, hey, I've got a few minutes on the court here. I'm just going to hustle like crazy. And I think the fact that here's a veteran guy who's had a bunch of accolades, the fact that he's playing that way, uh, number one, is huge because he's got more talent than a two-way player has to <laughs> back it up. And also, I think just what that does team-wide, they always talk, whenever they mention Blake Griffin, whether it's Joe being asked or players being asked, they talk about what a great teammate he is. And that part is is what stands out. You know, here's a guy that's, you know, um, got all-star games and and a Kardashian on his resume. And he's (laughs) out there, you know, so this guy's been, he's had the star thing going on. And he's out there playing like a guy hustling to make a roster. And I think that is huge when it comes to the effect on a team uh, and and how that bleeds to everybody else. Chris Humphreys had a Kardashian on his resume, too, don't forget. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Celtics, you know, it's uh, – what's uh, – well, let's see, and Tristan Thompson, right? No. Well, yeah, Tristan Thompson, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting with Blake because I think the hustle thing, you know, the, the Celtics took notice. You know, obviously they swept the Nets last year. Uh, but when he came in, he played about 25 minutes in the in, in, in all four of those, in, in just the last two games. But he was throwing his body around. He was taking charges. He was hitting the floor for, for loose balls. Uh, you know, so he was kind of showing that effort, uh, especially for a team that that just looked so defeated at times, uh, the way that the, that the Nets did. He was showing that effort, and and the Celtics took notice of that. You know that that that's one of the reasons he's part of this team uh, is the two games. It was only two games uh, that, that that he played against Boston in the in the postseason. Uh, you know, he had an impact, and uh, and I think the Celtics, you know. When, when push comes to shove or, or eventually came to shove and they felt like they needed a veteran presence uh, uh, as a big guy, uh, you know, he was he was the first guy they called. Well, two things. Number one, he is cool. Number two, yeah. more importantly, he doesn't act cool, you know. So I, and that's, again, I think that's huge when you're talking about the, the makeup, the chemistry of a team. Yeah, and and you know, Jack, just 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 one more thing on Blake. You know, uh, Woj had reported that, and I think we've all heard that. Um, you know, the Celtics are are, are considering 
uh, you know, possibly finding another big man. Uh, but, but you know, as you mentioned, look, Luke Cornett, Robert Williams, Al Horford, uh, uh, Blake Griffin, uh, you know, do they have enough uh, in terms of big guys? I mean, is it something where you really think they need somebody else at this point? I've always been of the belief that they should try to find another wing, if anything, just to kind of take the load off of Jason and Jalen during the regular season so they don't wear themselves thin. I understand the desire for another big man because once you get to playoff time, you're really going to probably want to cut it down to just Rob, Al, Grant, and maybe Luke Cornett a little bit. And so if you want an extra you know, lift of that position when you get to the playoffs, maybe you upgrade from Cornett to somebody who's you know more of a you know, close to starter level, like Pirtle was mentioned, even though I don't know if a trade like that is necessarily realistic with the money you have to match. But um, yeah. I- I'm always – saying that they should go for another wing instead, you know, with the TPEs or within a trade. Um, I, I, I'm happy with Cornette and Griffin. I think they've shown enough that they can carry this team throughout the regular season at those spots. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. Go, I wouldn't go for anybody else necessarily. No. It's, you know, financially, you'd, you'd be looking at someone that, that could get in the way. I think they've got enough as it is now. I think I think when you talk about needing or perhaps looking for help on the wing, I th- I'm not sure. I'd be more concerned that when they get fully healthy, that there'll be enough time for a guy like Hauser to get his touches. Um, you know, shooters have to have touches. And if, if you want them to be there for you when you need them. So, you know, I, I think they're in pretty good shape as it is. And again, you look at the salary structure and where they are and where they want to be. And, and uh, you know, bringing someone in just for the heck of it, uh, if it messes you up and prevents you from getting someone else down the line because you've messed up your 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 cap, um, I'd be wary of that. Yeah, you know, but I think if you can get a veteran, and and part of the problem is there aren't a lot of veteran wings. You can you can you can you know you can shake a tree and and six or seven big guys are going to fall out who would fit into the TPE. You're not going to find a lot of wings. Uh, like that who can help you uh you know i think justin jackson was uh uh you know a guy that they wanted to take a look at i don't think he's quite been what they uh, hoped he would be uh denzel valentine is is in maine i suppose he's a you know a possibility they could uh do something there but uh yeah just i i no question uh that when you talk to people around the league there is a sense that if they were to do something it probably would be uh, certainly in the short term for a wing like you said jack just to be able to uh, kind of do what Blake Griffin is doing now, just be a placeholder in some of these games uh, where you can give some guys some rest. Uh, but there's there's not a lot of guys out there. There's just not a lot available, especially if you're just going to use a TPE, you know, within uh, six, seven million dollars. Uh, it's it's it, it, there's really nobody who's going to fit that bill. That's one of the problems that they've got. But we can change topics now because I want to move on uh, to uh, one of Steve's favorite topics, of course, is uh, uh, random trade rumors that pop up, uh, mostly media created. Uh, You know, Steve will go on and on about that. Uh, Just loves, loves, loves talking about it. Uh, So we'll do that. What do you say, Steve? (laughs) You know, uh, if some is good, more is better. There you go. Uh, so, uh, you know, reporter in Miami, um, Greg Sylvander, who's 
uh, has covered the Heat and uh, you know does does a podcast. Uh, he was talking about uh, the Heat being interested uh, in Grant Williams, and he was throwing it out there as a very uh, um, you know not not necessarily that they're talking to this you know, nothing in terms of like firm reporting. I'm not saying that, uh, but but just that that he is be the kind of guy that the Heat are looking for. Um, you know, especially considering their their hole at the four and and uh, uh, and and you know just just their whole organizational philosophy. Grant Williams would fit that pretty well. Um, would the Celtics consider trading Grant Williams? You think at any point, Jack? You think that's something uh, uh, that 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 could potentially be on the table, uh, or is that uh, uh, is that cuckoo talk? I think it's pretty cuckoo talk. I, I, yeah. I don't see them trading him at all. I'm biased because I'm a big Grant guy, um, but I put this on par with the Lakers, quote unquote, internally discussing DeMar DeRozan and Nicole, which, which like, yeah, if I'm the Lakers, I'd internally discuss that too. I'd internally discuss anything that would elevate the roster. If I'm the Heat, I'll talk about trading for any young power forward that can shoot considering they got rid of P.J. Tucker. I mean, we we're talking all this time last year about how Grant Williams is kind of P.J. Tucker light. So what better for the Heat than getting a younger version of what they're missing? Um, put something out on Twitter effectively like saying, okay, well, if we were going to indulge in this foolishness, the three trades that would realistically make sense was, you know, the Celtics would probably ask for Struess. The Heat would probably not give up Struess. The Heat would probably throw something like, I don't know, Omer Yurtsev and Haywood Highsmith in a first, and the Celtics would obviously say no to that. And then the middle ground would be something like, you know, Caleb Martin, Highsmith in a first. That way the, the, you could rationalize it by saying, oh, the Celtics would save money by getting Caleb Martin on a cheaper deal. But even then, like, Celtics are trying to win a championship. Saving money probably isn't on their agenda, and we've seen Wick being more willing to spend with the Malcolm Brogdon, obviously extending Al Horford, and the, the only question mark you have in that side of things is that they didn't extend Grant Williams, but at this point, with how well he's progressed with everything he's added to this game, because he's gotten a lot better this year after he yeah. improved last year, I, I can't see them doing anything but just matching whatever contract he gets next summer. So I, I think this is just the Heat saying we're interested in improving the power forward position, and this came out the day after he dropped 18 on them. So it yeah. makes sense. <laughs> was this was this something? It doesn't look like it was something that was reported. That the Heat were talking about it, right? No, no, that's 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 that was in the disclaimer uh, that that I gave. That uh, you know, this is a reporter who's saying you know that 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 it's something that uh, uh, that that from the Heat's perspective, he's the kind of guy that they would that they would like to get. Um, yeah, so. there have been reporters over the past couple of decades, few decades, that have made themselves a bunch of money by throwing stuff like this out there. I, you know, yeah. <clears throat> Um, the Celtics, you know, I, I, I suppose it's okay to break the news here. You know, I think they'd be very interested in Giannis and Tedekumpo. <laughs> um, I really, well, I they really, discussed it internally though. <laughs> well, uh, internally in terms of, in terms of in my home here. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. Would this be saying it's internally? If I, yeah. <laughs> I got the lapel on my coat, you know, look, Sure, if they could find an upgrade over Grant Williams for better money down the line, sure, you look at that. But what you have to say now is what you have, the you know, less important perhaps than adding to what you have right now is not breaking what you have right now. Um, Grant Williams fits what the Celtics need 
because he is a guy that, that uh, can play the wing, but is physical enough to defend some bigger people inside, will go to the basket, is a physical guy, all those things. So, you know, um, he's kind of doing the Aaron Judge thing, betting on himself, which is cool. Let's see what happens with it. Um, and again, the Celtics, you know, because of the Larry, the old Larry Bird rule, um, formed when the when the NBA was doing the salary cap, they wanted teams to be able to keep their team together. Uh, the Celtics can spend what they have to to keep him. Um, so, <clears throat> I don't think there there shouldn't be too much concern there. They might have to overspend at some point, but for what they have right now, uh, the role he fits, which is not just one role, it's kind of a few roles, right? Um, you need to keep that together. Uh, you don't want to make a mistake. You know, you don't want to screw up what you have. Yeah. And, and you know, he's he, the role he plays fits perfectly with Jalen Brown uh, and, and Jason Tatum. He's 24 years old. Uh, they could play a long time together. Uh, and, you know, he gets compared to Draymond Green, and, and that's probably a little unfair. You know, I think he's obviously a much better shooter than Draymond. Draymond's a much better playmaker, passer. Um, you know, that's that's sort of his role. Uh, but in the in, if you compare them in the way that what Draymond does fits so well with what Steph Curry and Klay Thompson does, then I could say that that, that to me is a valid comparison that that you know his his role uh, fits so well with what Jason and uh, uh, and Jalen do uh, that uh, uh, that you you might be willing to to overpay for him. Um, and he Jack also allows you to go small, you know, yeah. which is something all coaches, especially in the much like Draymond, Draymond does that. Yeah. I mean, he's you know allows you to go small and um, and gives you enough on the or certainly enough on the outside that you're, you're having to expand the opponent's defense. You're getting to it. You know, we're, we're talking about possibly overpaying him. Jack, what do you, what, what do you think is overpaying uh, uh, Grant Williams? Uh, you know, this is obviously not something I got to deal with uh, for another uh, seven months, but uh, um, you know, what do you, what do you think is, is overpaying for Grant Williams? It's tough because if I'm the Celtics, you might be getting close to the point where you just kind of have to match what any team gives him rather than give him up. I mean, I mean, if you're, if somebody gives him a max contract, maybe you don't match that. I can't see many teams offering that, but like you talk about the Pistons having cap space, the Pacers having cap space, two teams that are looking to kind of inch towards the playoffs rather than just, you know, the the tank race. Um, Grant Williams to fit well in that team. They throw maybe 20 million at him. That's when maybe the Celtics like hesitate a beat. I think if I'm the Celtics, I hope, um, that I get to match 16 to 18 at this point. Cause I mean, he's played really well, right? You're looking at maybe 14, 15 uh, if you'd gotten a deal done before the season starts, but he's added, you know, the, the drive to his game where he can drive closeouts. He's becoming a better passer. He's obviously not Draymond, but he's working on it and he can pass a little bit. And like Steve said, he guards almost everything, right? They've thrown him at John Morant, even his rookie season, they were having him play center in the bubble. Like he can guard one through five, maybe not like perfectly. I'm not saying he's bam out of bio Giannis, but he can like four stints guard almost anybody on the court, which is not something to like scoff at in the NBA. That's a hot commodity. So he's going to get paid. If I'm the Celtics, I, I kind of have to match anything at this point. And I think Horford taking what seems to be a pretty team friendly deal helps that for sure. Um, but I, I'm hoping for something probably 18 uh, at the highest end. But if it gets to 20, 
it's still hard to let Grant walk. You look as much as much as we like um, what Grant Williams' skill set is. I think it's fair to to look at the strong possibility that he is better here uh, with the Celtics than he would be with other teams. Um, you've got to look at the context. Every player has got to be looked at in context. <clears throat> Going back a long way, the, it was, the Celtics were famous for having guys that played fit into what they were doing. We're talking, you know, decades ago even, but and went to other teams and were were not nearly that because you know it's it's who you're playing with, who you're playing off um, that helps really define you. Um, as much as a guy like Draymond Green is a star with the uh, with the Warriors, would he be a star elsewhere? You know, um, you know that's again. So I, I just would look at someone on another team uh, is likely to try to do something a little silly along that regard and spend a lot of money. But if other teams are wise, I think he's you know he'll have options, but not the option, not an offer that he can't refuse, perhaps elsewhere. Oh yeah, but I, you know, and I think you just kind of mentioned that Steve that that that. We've certainly seen teams uh, be willing to take those chances, even on, you know, I mean, you think three years ago, right? Al Horford uh, goes to Philadelphia and what was in the end a terrible match. Uh, and and he was not for them what he was for the Celtics. Uh, so you, know, you could certainly see a team like, uh, you know, a Detroit uh, in Indiana, uh, you know, that, that, that's got a bunch of cap space and says, you know, we just need that, that kind of glue guy, that, that, that guy who's, who's young, but is one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and, uh, and it's Grant Williams. And if we could do a front loaded contract that starts at $20 million works downward, uh, you know, something like that, scare the Celtics off. You know, it's, it's not, it's not outside the realm of possibility that somebody does that. What's funny is that the, uh, with the, Again, we're going to go back to ancient history here, but the Celtics uh, years ago when they were doing a, a contract offer for a restricted free agent, they kind of ruined Antoine Carr's career because uh, he, you know, the, the Hawks wanted to keep him and the Celtics offered him a contract with no weight clauses and the, uh, the Hawks matched it. And uh, without those clauses, Antoine Carr, who was a, a really good guy and a really good player, just kind of, you know, faded off into uh, um, into the ether, into the Krispy Kreme ether. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. He's a really good guy. He was a no, really, I know, I know. really I freaking yeah, good yeah. player, too. Yeah. Sorry yeah. for the cheap shot. <laughs> uh, we won't tell him. That's all right. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on finally. Uh, we mentioned Draymond Green, and of course, the team he plays for is the Golden State Warriors and the Celtics. As part of this uh, uh, this this road swing that they're on, uh, will have their first rematch with the Warriors this weekend. Uh, what are we seeing from this? Uh, you know, it hasn't been a stellar start from the Warriors. They've played better lately. Um, you know, this is still a team that, if you look at them. They are five and eight against teams that are over 500. And even those five wins, two of them came against Sacramento. 
One was against the Clippers without Paul George or Kawhi. Uh, they beat the Jazz as the Jazz have been sort of on the downswing. They're still technically over 500, but you know they're not playing like a uh, like a winning team. Uh, and I think Minnesota at the time was over 500. So you know I, I, it's not like even the the five wins that they have against teams that have been over 500 aren't exactly. Uh, you know, the heavyweights of the league. So, you know, what have you seen from the Warriors? What are you looking for uh, in this matchup, Steve? Um, I th- I, what I'd be looking for is do the Celtics play with discipline. Um, the Warriors will throw it. The Warriors usually throw at teams. Do the Celtics stick to their guns, stick to their plan, keep moving, keep moving the ball, you know, whether the shots go in or not, I think they should live with that. But, uh, you know, it was, it was funny. Uh, we, our, your, your guy, Grant Williams, you know, he said this summer that he thought the Celtics were a more talented team, but that the Warriors had more discipline. Well, discipline's kind of a talent, too. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I think that's where the Celtics – I think the, the Warriors believed that the Celtics had more. Uh, but they were able to get the Celtics off their game. So I, I think that'll be the key is if you see Boston sticking to what it does, what it's been doing this year, that's the most important thing. What stands out for you, Jack? Um, I, I think it's going to be a good a good test. The Warriors bench is <clears throat> really not good this year. Like they, They're really missing Otto Porter, Gary Payton, Nemanja Bielitsa. Um, they've been one of the worst benches in the league. Like the starting unit has been phenomenal. Stephen Curry is putting up arguably the best numbers he's ever put up, which is kind of crazy considering it's he's what 34. He's entering the back end of his career. Draymond Green's playing well. Clay Thompson's picked it up. Jordan Poole's still figuring it out a little bit, but their bench was I, I think their plan was like, okay, we got James Wiseman, Moses Moody, John Kaminga. Like, well, we'll start to pick things up. We'll throw minutes to our young guys. And that hasn't really panned out the way they had hoped. Dante DiVincenzo even dealt with an injury early in the season, and he hasn't really been himself mm-hmm. since then. So I think that's going to be a place where the Warriors are weaker, but they're still the Warriors. They're still Steph Curry, they're still Clay Thompson, Draybon Green, Steve Kerr at the helm. Like, this is still the same core that the Celtics played in the finals. Um, and if I'm the Celtics, I treat this the way Miami just treated that two game series against the Celtics. Miami was playing those games like it was a playoff game. Jimmy Butler wanted to beat the Celtics more than he wanted to beat any other team in the league, and you could just see it in his eyes. I think that's the way the Celtics at least should come out against the Warriors in Golden State. And they've played well in Golden State over the years, but this is a big one considering they just lost, you know, they, they didn't lose two games in a row throughout the playoffs last year. Then they lost three in a row to, to lose the NBA championship. So there's, there's gotta be some, maybe not bad blood, but it, they, they know, they remember. Steve, I know you talked to Marcus Smart a little bit about that, and I don't want to uh, get ahead of ourselves in terms of uh, when you when you write your story about that. But uh, you know, what did, what did Marcus have to say? Yeah, I, th- I think they they're certainly not happy with how they went out last year. Um, so um, I think the 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 Warriors have been in their heads, but not in a bad way. You know, they've been there as someone to like to hold up as the ideal of of how to get it done when it's on the line. And I think that's when you look at the Celtics this year, sticking to their guns a lot more, I think that's what you're seeing. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. The Celtics have had a lot of success out in, in at Golden State over the years. 
um, you know, we can go back to 2018 and the, the Warriors are sitting there waiting for the end of the Boston Cleveland series, praying that it was going to be the Cavaliers and not Boston. Yeah. And, you know, the Celtics kind of played into it by kind of blowing the last game at home against Cleveland. Uh, and I guarantee you that the, I know for a fact that the, the Warriors breathed a sigh of relief. I think it might have even uh, sent the tide out on the West Coast. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, the Celtics have proven that they can – that what they have, the way they defend, is a really good antidote to what the Warriors do. Um, it was the other end of the floor that where Boston got hurt. Live ball turnovers, you know, which are the killer, you know, turning into easy buckets for the Warriors. And then, you know, Curry gets off and the things start to snowball in the, down, you know, in the wrong direction. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really serious game for Boston. Um, but again, I think that the most important thing for them is to show the discipline, to show that, that the Warriors can't get them off the game because they did in the playoffs last year. And when I was out in Vegas talking to Warrior people, that's what they were talking about, how they were able to get the Celtics off their game. Um, so I, when I'm watching this one, I'm, that's what I'm going to be looking at the most possession for possession do the celtics do the right things each trip down the floor yeah and uh you know i i i'm actually kind of looking at it from the other perspective and that is uh you know if i'm the warriors this is as much a test for me as it you know i think the celtics even if they lose this game even if they don't play particularly well look it's the fourth game of a six game road trip uh you know you could you you could you, you could kind of make some excuses for, uh, you know, why you might not play up to your stuff. The, the Warriors have no excuses here. I mean, you know, they've, they've already <clears throat> lost to Phoenix twice. They've lost to uh, New Orleans, who's, uh, who's looking more and more like a contender out West. Uh, they've lost to Denver. Uh, you know, the Warriors, they, they played better lately, but, you know, I went through the, the, the wins over teams that they 500 that they've had. They need that kind of win that really kind of legitimizes where they are and, 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 and kicks off the rest of their season because, you know, they played the first uh, quarter season uh, like they're running in sand. So, uh, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at this really uh, from a Warriors perspective is, is can a, uh, a rematch against the Celtics from the NBA finals, can that really snap them uh, back into uh, uh, back into contention, back into the team that we know that they can be, um, you know, certainly as Jack mentioned, they've got to get their bench together. They've got a lot of issues in terms of that, but, uh, but, you know, when you've got Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, when you've got that group, uh, you've got a chance to be a contender, no question. Yeah, look, so if they, they said, if they Steve, do, sorry, you get yeah, one more point, and we're uh, we're hitting the road here. Okay, no, I, look, if the Warriors are healthy and they are the the sixth seed in the West, I still think that they're they're not a huge underdog because they'll go yeah. into each series knowing they have to win one game on the opponent's floor to rest home court advantage. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Jack. Uh, this is Sean Devaney uh, from Heavy Sports. Again, you know, check us out uh, at heavy.com. Uh, check out our Celtics coverage. Uh, you know, lots of lots of guys putting out a lot of content there. Uh, subscribe to the show. Follow the show. Uh, whatever they're calling it these days. Uh, you know, check us out and uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, thanks again to Steve Bolpet and Jack Simone, uh, and thanks everyone to, uh, for listening, uh, and we'll see you next week.